1: Garden Church podcast.
2: We're in a series called Kingdom Culture. In the kingdom of God, Jesus creates a culture of belonging. Everyone has a place. Everyone gets to play a role. He redefines the definition of family and introduces us into new ways of living. So today, I want to show you how scandalous Jesus was in the first century. He offends both the first century concept of family and the 21st uh, century concept of individualism. And so today I want to talk about loneliness, tribal consciousness, strong group loyalty, and becoming the family of God in our progressive, secular, post-Christian culture. How are we doing so far? All right, we're with me. So loneliness. Loneliness is the most common ailment in the modern world. 40% of all people in Western world identify themselves as lonely. That's a 20% increase in the last 30 years. In one wide-ranging study, the number of people who said they, were, they had no one to talk to about important matters has doubled since 2007. So there's a 25% increase of people saying in the Western culture today that they don't have anyone to talk to about important matters. Um, I think we've traded meaningful relationships with fragile connection. And loneliness is affecting our health. All these studies are coming out saying that loneliness is connected to depression, it's connected to heart disease, it impacts our immune function, and increases inflammation. And so if you step back just for a moment and observe the artifacts that our culture is producing in books, movies, television, and other forms of art, what you see is a society longing for meaningful connection. Here's a list. Friends, Full House, Gilligan's Island, Parenthood, Modern Family, How I Met Your Mo- Mother, This Is Us, The Walking Dead, and Game of Thrones. What you see in the show Friends that went over 10 years a huge success are six single friends who began to forge community with one another. Each of them came from awkward dysfunctional and somewhat broken new, broken nuclear families. And over the 10 years, they formed a new family unit and they became an extended family. And the rest of the shows are a bunch of shows that show what it looks like to be family in today's culture. Game of Thrones is no different. What you have is a bunch of dysfunctional nuclear families trying to, with, with one purpose and mission to take over the Iron Throne. That's it. Walking Dead, another show about a zombie apocalypse that shows a bunch of strangers forging a community, a new family to survive the hostile world. Every single show, every single major, the Avengers Endgame, I won't give anything away, are a bunch of superheroes who are lonely and broken and dysfunctional until they find each other and live with a purpose and mission. Just wait until you see the next one. It's so good. There's this one, no, I'm not gonna do it. The world is longing for community and searching for a place to belong. And loneliness is humanity's oldest problem. If you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter two. In Genesis two, it's a story of a creation account, God creating humanity, and it zooms in from the cosmos into the Garden of Eden or right before the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And this is the story of Adam being created first. And so on the sixth day, um, God creates humanity as the epic pinnacle of all creation in his image. And it says in verse seven of chapter two, Genesis, then the Lord God formed a man, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So God creates man, uh, Adam, uh, and he puts him in the, uh, before he puts him in the garden, he puts him, yeah, he puts him in the garden to work, excuse me, in the timeline of things. I'm trying to figure it out as I go. And and then it says in verse 18, this line, and God runs into a problem. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So in God's perfect creation, there was a problem. Adam was without community. Adam needed companionship, um, so God puts the animals in front of him. Adam names the animals, exercising dominion and authority over creation, and then God uh, takes, puts Adam to sleep, takes out half of his side. It's it's technically half, not just a rib, and creates woman. Adam wakes up, sees this woman. And he says, this is woman. She was made from man. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Um, she doesn't, he doesn't name her. He recognizes the authority within her. He, they have Collaborative, mutual respect, honor, and equality. Um, I also, just want to say that phrase, suitable helper. Just, this is just a quick side note for all the men and women in the room that need some redefinition of theology. The word helper is ezer, uh, ezer, and it's used only a few times in reference to helpers, as in like someone to help somebody along the journey. Um, it's never used for a subordinate in all of the scripture, it's always an equal and almost always, I think it's 16 of the 20 times it's used in the scriptures, it's referred to for God towards humanity. So Ezra is rescuer, strengthener, supporter. How we doing? <laughs> So let's not use that little phrase to, and misunderstand a theology there and bail the whole theology off one misinterpreted view of a Hebrew word. Okay, let's keep going. So God creates the world and humanity and we were designed for community. God designed us to flourish in authentic, meaningful relationships. Scientists say that we're neurobiologically hardwired for belonging. But then sin enters into the story. Chapter three, shalom's destroyed. And I wanna just point this out in regards to relationship. Anytime we act outside of loving, inclusive community, anytime we exclude or isolate or reject ourselves or others, we are operating outside of God's intent. I I don't know if I can, but I'll try. (laughs) Anytime we act outside of loving, inclusive community, Anytime we exclude or isolate or reject ourselves or others, we are operating outside of God's original intent. Yeah. What the scripture shows is that we were designed to live in perfect loving relationship. Now that was distorted and destroyed. But God, we know the story, didn't leave us to ourselves or our own demise. He comes into the story. And what you see for the rest of the scripture I'm going to show you is God using humanity to restore humanity back to its original place together. So he starts with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, go to Genesis 12. I want to show you how he uses community as the pinnacle of restoration. He'll do it today, which is where we're going to get to. But in Genesis 12, God selects Abraham at a time where your identity was defined by your family. Your identity was defined. Look at how they introduced people in the Bible. Like imagine if we introduced Basketball players, the same way they introduced people in the Old Testament, LeBron, James, son of so-and-so, son of blah, 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 all the way down the line. We do it by our vocational success. They did it by their primary function, their primary identity, which came from family, their tribe, so at the time that Abraham exists in an ancient civilization, tribes form. Abraham is selected, and he says, "If uh, he calls Abraham, if you will do what I say, then I will bless you. If you leave your family, then this, this is the promise God gives Abraham, verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, verse 2, he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And listen to what he says. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. I will make you a tribe that exists for all other tribes. I will make you a people, a nation that exists for other people and nations. And the story continues through the, the people of Israel in Exodus, God calls the nation of Israel to be his treasure possession All other nations will be blessed through them. At a time when early civilizations organized themselves by tribes. Now, tribe, here's the definition. Tribes were social divisions in a traditional society consisting of families or communities linked by social, economic, religious, or blood ties with a common culture, dialect, typically having a recognized leader. Anthropologists discovered biological connections emerge from Uh, early on, out of defense within humanity. Families and communities were formed out of the need to survive the hostile environments they grew up in or they were surrounded by. Are you guys okay with this? So your tribe lived with your tribe um, because it spoke the same language. It voted for the same people. It wore wore the same clothes. It listened to the same music. It it had a same culture or mythological stories that they existed. And you you had to know who was with you Uh, tribes formed out of the need to survive against other tribes or hostile environments. So you're gonna gather, you're gonna hunt, you're gonna live together in harmony, you're gonna raise your kids together, you're gonna uh, share life together, you're gonna share values together, you're gonna share a common purpose, a common work, you're gonna work for the tribe. Now, what existed during the time of Genesis and during the time of the New Testament, which we'll talk about, is something that developed called tribal consciousness, which is loyalty to the tribe no matter what. What? Let's just put loyalty to the party no matter what. Tribal affiliation was everything at the time of Abraham, at the time that the Israelites lived, at the time of Jesus. You didn't often engage with other tribes. You warred against them. You protected yourself from them. Other tribes looked differently. It was us versus them. They dressed differently. They had different values. They had different customs. They had different foods. Their food smelled funny. They had different festivals. They ate differently. Some would stand, some would sit. You would never interact with other tribes or in primitive cultures of society because it was all about your tribe winning. This is an ancient, primitive way of living. Let me say that again. It was an ancient, primitive way of living. This was an ancient, primitive mindset that we don't struggle with today. That's sarcasm, there should be a sign put in the notes, sarcastic, sarcastic, sarcastic. The mindset, this mindset was around at the time of Jesus. So the nation of Israel, designed to be a nation for other nations, they failed. Jesus comes onto the scene. And he is so scandalous. Here's a quote from a a book that I highly recommend, When the Church Was a Family, by Joseph H. Hellerman. He says, in the New Testament world, the group took priority over the individual. We are individualists. Our personal goals and individual satisfaction take first priority when we make critical life decisions. But the peoples of the ancient world exhibit what cultural anthropologists call a collectivist view of reality. Another way of saying this is to refer to the biblical world as a strong group society. What this means is that for the people in the world of the New Testament, the welfare of the groups to which they belong took priority over their own individual happiness and relational satisfaction. You guys catch that? So we have to jump into a first century mindset. We can't possibly do that because we see the world through our individualistic lens. Okay, so no matter how much I talk about community from the Bible, we will always interpret that phrase from the lens, the glasses we're looking out through the world in, which is individualism. We're going to talk about this. So this is part one of a sermon. I forgot to mention this. I'm going to finish the sermon next week so you, c- you can't miss out. All right, and we're not going to podcast it because you have to be here. Um, I'm just kidding. We will. We um, So when Jesus shows up in this context, there is a way of collective thinking, of group participation, of loyalty to the group, loyalty to your family. And Jesus offends both first century value system and 21st century value system at the same time in Mark chapter three. Check this out. So Jesus, we're talking about humanity. We're talking about a culture of belonging. How do we as a church develop a culture of belonging, which is a kingdom culture? In Mark three, this is so subversive, countercultural, both in first century context and 21st century context. Jesus is ministering to crowds. He's speaking and teaching, and he's gathered around a bunch of people, and it's, he's saying all sorts of things in Mark that are controversial. In verse 31, it says this Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother, And brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. There would have been an audible gasp. This is scandalous. This is public shaming of his mom and siblings. The question, who are my mother and my brother? This is so controversial back then, and it is today, but we, we don't see it in the right context. And I want to paint a picture, but we need to look at first century concept first. I want you to know this is an invitation into a new reality. And for many of us, we won't want to go there. We're going to resist. And I understand. So that's why I prayed for bandwidth to expand and revelation to take place because some of you are gonna get it and it's gonna radically transform the way you view the rest of your life. If you just grasp what Jesus is saying here, I mean that. I was carrying it this week going, oh my gosh, this is wrecking me. So the manner in which Jesus publicly distances himself here from his natural family relations would have struck those who witnessed it or encountered or read it in the first century as subversive and countercultural. Two central truths take place in this moment. One, Jesus models his new community after the most important group found in the ancient world, the natural family. So he models his group, his community, after the natural family. And number two, this important truth Jesus replaces his natural family at the center stage of relational priorities with kingdom family, whoever does the will of my father. So right there is controversy. Jesus will replicate the implications of natural family in the first century concept, I don't in context, not 21st century because we have no clue what it was like back then. Privacy was not a thing in the first century. It was for the royal elite. 99% of people had no privacy. They didn't have an Enneagram type of in, or a Myers-Briggs introvert, extrovert. There was, no, there was none of that going on. Okay, it was all collective communal. But he challenges the perspective of natural family. He models the natural family in the first century concept context off of his new, uh, I'm sorry, he, his community's model after that. And second, he replaces the natural family with the kingdom family. So it's natural family versus the kingdom family. Jesus now introduces a loyalty conflict within the first century. His invitation is not a conflict which we read as God. Loving God or loving people. We always read this family like read this passage like, oh, Jesus wants me to hate my family. Because other pers- other passages will say if you don't hate your mother and father, you you can't you have no use with me. You can't follow me. But this is not what's going on. It's not, do you love God or do you love people? It's nothing to do with that. He's inviting people to place their loyalty to a new family. A new group. It's not about God or people. That's not a question. It's about God's people or your people. Natural family or the kingdom family. Will you choose God's kingdom, family, or will you be loyal to your natural family? Now stay with me. In the first century, there were three social values of the ancient Mediterranean world. Number one, group took priority over the individual. We're the opposite today individual takes priority over the group number two in the first century a person's most important group was his natural family obviously and number three which is a surprise to me the closest family bond was the bond between siblings this is just giving you some some historical context so you understand so jesus invites his followers to exercise primary loyalty to one another as brothers and sisters of faith so this was a first century concept concept so the early Christians suddenly found themselves um, with not two families, but de- uh, sorry, they, they found themselves not with one family, but with two families, and they, it demanded primary loyalty and commitment. So the passage is not about whether you love God or love your family. The passage is, will you place your pri- priority in God's family or your natural family? So here's another quote. Jesus radically challenged his disciples to disavow primary loyalty to their natural families in order to join the new surrogate family of siblings he was establishing as the family of God. Relationships among God's children were to take priority over blood family ties. This is the most reasonable way to read the anti-family tradition in the gospel narratives and still preserve their prophetic thrust, according to Joseph Hellerman. So Jesus creates a new family on earth that exists for all other families on earth a new tribe for all other tribes. And in his kingdom, it's no longer exclusive to name. It's no longer exclusive to race, ethnicity, gender, language, income, class, status, or preference. Jesus radically reorients family and social ties around the mission of God. This new community is formed out of God's mission. This is in the first century concept. So following Jesus requires Countercultural priorities. I told you you didn't want to hear this one. Actually, that's not what I said. I said you're going to be convicted of sin. Um, I'm just just kidding. In the New Testament, your natural family is no longer the primary group of affiliation. How radical is that? So countercultural. But our problem isn't. Placing priority or affiliation to a group, our problem has to do with individualism. So our problem isn't group affiliation today. Our problem is individualism today. And Jesus offends our individualism. So individual, individualism affects everything in our life. We just don't realize that this is the water we're all swimming in. Everything is designed around your personal preference every decision you make is designed around your capacity to make decisions in freedom one person says americans exercise freedom in many areas of life our ability to make decisions are quite unique compared to the options available to people in other cultures our personal goals and individual satisfaction take priority when we make critical life decisions It's all individually based versus other cultures, which is group based. And that one author compares individualism versus group uh, collectivism like this. Remember that scene in the Titanic? Not that one, but when Rose, (laughs) when Rose, her family is forcing her to marry the rich dude. Now in a collective society, you do what the family says. And this is what's going on in the movie Titanic. It's, it's touching on love, which is this individualistic expression of self-love, which was not a common practice at that time. This is an individualist, like we look at that story going, of course, she, she's gonna choose Leo. Of course. You choose love, because you, you can make that decision apart from the rest of your community, because that's the culture we swim in. But in collectivist society, you choose the rich guy, because your family said so. Do You see? Was that helpful or no? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, that's good. That's not bad. Individualism affects everything. One author says this. I thought this was, this blew my mind. We can summarize our most important life decisions under three headings. Now, I want to say three headings, but I also want to say three significant values. Number one, vocation. Who, I'm sorry, what am I going to do with my life? It's the big American question, right? What do I do when some? hey, um, hi, I'm Darren. What do you do? Oh, you, first thing you say, right? Your vocation. I usually like to say, oh, I, I, I'm married to Alex. Number two, <laughs> number two is spouse. Who am I going to spend my life with or your family? This, this is the second priority or question that you ask to define your success or receive identity from in American context. And number three is residence. Where am I going to live? The three most important decisions that people make, this is a generalization in the Western context, is who? what am I going to do with my life? Who am I going to spend my life with? Where am I going to live? As an American individualist, my personal identity is deeply rooted in the decisions I make along these lines. And I alone am you ultimately responsible for my choices. Choices that determine my very destiny in many crucial areas of life. Social scientists use the term self-reliance and autonomy to describe this uniquely Western approach to making decision making and identity formation. In other words, my identity is formed, shaped, and affected in Western society by my perception of success in these three areas. What I do, who I spend my life with, and where I live. Is that not true? Now I I don't have time to talk about what that what it meant and uh, what it means today in other communal cultures around the world, but what it meant in the first century it was about honor and it was about family it was about continuing on. You didn't have like Peter wasn't walking around going what am I going to be today? Am I going to be a programmer? Am I going to follow my heart and do art or and, and, you know his dad was a fisherman he's going to be a fisherman that that's what you did there was no choice. We have this whole other way of looking at life, but Jesus is countercultural. Jesus gives us a new way of living in this world, a new identity, a new vocation, a new family. He changes how we make decisions and how we live our life. If we let him, if we take his word seriously, if we allow Jesus of the scripture, the living Jesus, to be the Jesus we run after, not the Jesus made in the American image. This is the problem with teaching about community and family today. We filter everything through the lens of individualism. We can't actually see or view our life in the ways it's been shaped by individualism, so when we talk about loyalty to family, we still see that, when we talk about a loyalty to a church or communal, uh, God's family, we still, we still see it in the lens of individualism. Now stay with me, because this is where I want to make a point, if you haven't heard any points yet. We engage in community through individualistic values today. I don't know how else to share this, but my personal relationship with God, my personal calling, my personality type, my Myers-Briggs Enneagram Introvert-Extrovert uniqueness is how I tend to engage or not engage in relational environments. I feel like um, this kind of, let me just say this disclaimer, Enneagram, personality types, introvert, extrovert, those are real things and they're really helpful for the journey. But in some ways I feel like we've made them an idol in in the mission of God. It's like, oh, you're evangelistic because you're extroverted, so you do the evangelism. I'm just gonna journal at coffee shops. No, 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 no. We all are evangelistic. We all, it's based on the missional need of the moment. You become the evangelist based on the power of the spirit. Not because you're extrovert. Extroverts might have more capacity because they get life from that. And it might be a lot more work and they might, an introvert might need a lot more downtime after it takes place. But you can still do evangelism. All right? So I, does this make sense? So I feel like we look at community, we look at mission through this other lens of it, my individual uniqueness in the story of God. You are not the most, imper- most important person in the story of God. And so what I've understand is that our relationship to Jesus must redefine everything else in my life, including my, my preferences, If Jesus invites me into a season of relationship that is exhausting and hard, but he invites me into it as an introvert, I have to obey. I don't obey first my identity founded in Myers-Briggs, but I first do it through my relationship to Jesus. Does that make sense? It might be, this might be all wrong, but just test it out there. It's what I'm working with. Because I see this going off in the church. And it's giving a lot of people permission to take a backseat and make spirituality the do-it-yourself spirituality, right? Like, when it comes to family and community or loyalty to the church, we have a church-shopping, consumer-oriented, self-focused, what's-in-it-for-me kind of faith. Loyalty to a church community? Are you kidding? The way we've designed church is to meet your consumer needs. If it doesn't work for you, just go to the one down the street that has a hipper pastor, a better kids' ministry, and has a real church building. I know, I know, I know I'm hip. This like idea that you can, because you know what's emerged? There was a season of deconstruction in the church, which was so good. And why do we do what we do? And a whole movement came out of it that threw out the gospel and Jesus and the authority of scripture. And so now we have a crisis of biblical literacy and biblical authority in the, in the Western context. We don't have Bible up here as authoritative. We have the Bible right here next to my personal preferences and experience. And so what you have is thousands if not millions of people leaving the church finding church through a speaker who has a podcast and then they just listen to the podcast on their own convenient times and have dinner with friends and call it church. That's not it. Church Church is renewing cosmic reality in the power of the Holy Spirit committed in season and out of season, looking different than preferences, moving God's heaven on earth every step of the way. It's not based on your preference. It's not based on convenience or what political party you affiliate to. I don't want to hear again as 2020 comes into the scene what you expect me to talk about. Because people last election cycle left because we were too liberal and last, last election cycle left because we were too conservative. I don't know what to say except Jesus at the center and he is first priority, not Republican, Democrat, liberal, progressive. It doesn't matter. Jesus is the center. Look to him and don't talk about personalities. Talk about policies. Let's move the conversation forward. I'm a little passionate about this. So when it comes to church, we don't get to do it. I love what, oh man, this, this, is, this is the one that wrecked me. Ready for this? The strong group outlook of the New Testament church meant that the early Christians did not sharply distinguish between commitment to God and commitment to God's family. Cyprian of Carthage in 20, 250 AD said it like this, he who does not have the church for his mother cannot have God for his father. I would express it somewhat differently. He who does not have God's children as his brother and sisters does not have God for his father. For the early Christians, loyalty to God, uh, loyalty to God, found its tangible daily expression in unswerving loyalty to God's group, the family of surrogate siblings who. Called him father. This is the lens through which we need to read Jesus' teachings about family in the Gospels. People in the Mediterranean antiquity had to leave one family in order to join another. If we are truly serious about returning to our biblical roots, where our relationship with our fellow human beings are concerned, our priorities should probably look something like this. And he replaces this view, which we'll talk about next week, with you, you, you and God, you and family. You in church with number one priority is God's family. Number two priority is my family. Number three is others. This is so revolutionary because normally I'll put something up on the screen like this: you and God, you and self, you and others. Which is true, but that's individualistic. And what the author of this this book, who paints the landscape of the twenty first or first century church when the church was a family, he says essentially there's no distinguishing fact between you serving God and you serving people. They're together in every account. You can't love God and not love your brother. 1 John chapter 3.16, God you he gave his life for us so that we ought to lay down our, our lives for others. How, what does that look like? Verse 17, if you have money, share. You can't take apart love for God and love for other people. You can't follow Jesus by yourself. You need people. You need church. Okay, so Acts 2.44 says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what you see is in the first Moment we get a snapshot of the church. The church is born in Acts 2 with the power of the Holy Spirit. The people of God grow. They go from 120 to 3,000 people in the first sermon ever preached by Peter and, and on Pentecost Sunday. It's more than a, a little micro house church movement. It's already a mega church movement. Do you see that? So this argument, like which one? If there's no argument. The Lord added to their number daily, it should always be growing. There are early accounts of the early church of people wanting to be like Christians based on how the Christians lived. Literally, ancient historians who were not Christian talked about this sect religious group that was growing rapidly because outsiders wanted to behave like the insiders. Could you imagine If our greatest evangelistic strategy was how we lived, like salt and light to the world, imagine that. This is what I want so desperately. And I blew it so many times this week. But I want it together. And this is the revelation I had. I'm trying to do it on my own strength. I'm trying to do it without community. And we weren't designed to do this alone. Church, what you see is the church is designed to teach the world how to be human again. I'm going to say that again because this is our new task as a church to teach the world how to be human again. This, by the way, it gets real practical. This is why we need to handle our finances well. This is why we need to ha- learn to have healthy conflict. This is why we need to have emotional boundaries. This is why we need to have to be How to be courageously vulnerable and interact and be brave as we courageously show our real self. This is why we give up the old self and the false self for the true self. This is why we show up to house church when we don't feel like it because it's not about us. It's not about me, it's about us. Because when I don't show up to house church, I'm not giving myself to the people of God the way God gave Himself to me. It's not, oh, we're doing highs and lows again. It's, am I committed to covenant to be in it with them so that when there's real crisis, when there's need, real need, when we've gone through years of ups and downs together, that we could say, I still love you, brother. I'm still here with you, sister. That no matter what happens in this game of life, we have family, don't we? Because that's what it means to be human. And the world is longing. The world is longing for this reality to be made in their lives. Tech companies are making billions of dollars off of that great longing in everyone's heart for connection. And the solution to modern ailment and humanity's oldest problem is the church, the biblical church. Where else can you go where it doesn't matter who your parents are, how much money you make, what nationality you are, what language you speak, what football team you support, what political party you associate with, what your past looks like, what your gender you identify with. In Christ, we belong together. We're in it together. That's what it means to be church. And I love the church for this reason. The church is the oldest institution, organization, community in history that said it doesn't matter. You are all welcome to be a part of the family. And if there is an older community, it wasn't written about. The church is the oldest that's been written about. So that's the end of part one. Come back next week for part two. I'll end with this. I already mentioned that there's a problem that some of us face with selecting church to be my group of friends. And I think we need to do away with that and recognize church needs to be inclusive. It needs to be formed on mission and welcome for everyone, which is why house churches welcome people in. And I just want to remind house church pastors to open up, to be inclusive. You should go online because I think we opened up house churches. So if you're not in a house church, get in a house church. I say this a lot. If, if you think you're a part of the garden, you're in a house church. That's, I mean, that's how I see it. That that you're you're journeying in life with people. And the second problem I want to just face in response is that we have to reprioritize life around Jesus and his family. Now stay with me for one second. We have to learn as followers of Jesus to reprioritize life around Jesus and his family. What would it look like to build this kind of community today where our primary loyalty were to one another, that we built a family of God on mission? People tell me all the time, I just don't have time for it. I'm too busy. And when I hear that, you know what I hear? I hear I don't value God's word enough. I don't value Jesus's words enough because I make time for working out. I make time for my business group. I make time for my job. I make time for my hobby. I make time for date nights, but the family of God and covenantal community together, I don't have time for. You can't follow God. You can't, I love it. You can't have God as father unless you have church as mother. And most of us see church as this thing happening. This is an element of church. Real church happens when it's life on life over a long period of time. I just heard walking in today, there's a couple who just got married two weeks ago. They just got back from their honeymoon. They went to Italy, by the way, just saying. That's a pretty awesome honeymoon. But the day before they left to get married, they they show up to their house church, and their house church lays hands on them and blesses them. And they were saying I couldn't, they couldn't wait to get back to church and house church. That's, that's literally what they told me walking in. They, we couldn't wait to get back to community. And that's how it should be. That we're with each other and we're going for it, but so many people don't have it. And it's not on a program, it's not on an email, it's not on Planning Center to figure it out. It's on us to figure this out together.
1: Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.